Welcome to the MBA Jam Podcast with your host, Avinash Bajaj. Hi folks, welcome to another episode of the MBA Jam. This is your host and founder, Avinash. Today's guest really surprised me. <laughs> Generally speaking, I've got a very high standard in the kind of guests I want on the show because I really want to ensure that you listeners have a great experience. And I want to stay true and authentic to what the show is all about. And that's why when I approached today's guest, he responded within one minute. This is a brief snippet of what he said. Hi, Avinas. Thank you for the message. I would love to share my NCR experience on your podcast. I think viewers would greatly benefit from some amazing experiences I had while at NCR. So you see, this is very inspiring. This is why I'm convinced that I'm approaching the right people who have this level of enthusiasm to share their learning with you listeners. Anyways, I've spoken far too long. Let me introduce you to today's guest. His name is Taponil Mukherjee. Taponil started his journey as a trader at UBS, where he went on to being the associate director. After which he joined Citi, where he was a vice president for around four years. However, the latest thing that Taponil is working on is his own company called Development Tracks, which provides advisory services to investors to explore, assess and invest in potential and optimal business opportunities in infrastructure, commodities trading and real estate in India. We'll find out more about how Tipunil came to this point. As mentioned before, he has done his MBA from INSEAD, before which he has done his bachelor's from Northwestern University in the US and master's from the London School of Economics and Political Science in the UK. So quite a globetrotter. Tipunil, welcome to the show, my friend. Thank you for having me on the show. And really appreciate it. No worries at all. I'm pretty sure I got your name wrong a couple of times there. How would you pronounce your name? So being a Bengali, the name would be pronounced as Topunil. But I hear different variations of that. So that should be fine for the interview. <laughs> okay, great, great. Thanks for that. So no problem. First of all, how would you like to describe your journey in your own words? I think it's been super interesting because I've had a chance to live across three different continents, both as a student and working. And I think overall, it's been a journey of opening my eyes to how different cultures, different work dynamics and different people work. And now that actually I'm back where my home is, basically in India, running my own business, I can use all those different cultural dynamics and all that learning to essentially run a business in India and try and connect India with the globe. So why did you start off in trading? Was it deliberate or did it just happen by chance? So when I, as a student of economics, I was very interested in macroeconomics. So I had an innate interest while studying the subject. I had great professors who taught me that. And when I was at Northwestern and at LSE, there was a lot of interest from a lot of people to get into trading. It, it was exciting. It was something that was gratifying. It was intellectually stimulating. And so when I put all those different factors together, along with my natural interest in understanding financial markets, trading was a natural progression. But it was very challenging to get in. Uh, but it was worth the hard work in terms of actually putting in that hard work, interviewing with the different investment banks and actually getting myself a job at UBS. I see. I see. So, so you did your bachelor's at Northwestern, and and then from there you went on to the masters at LSE. So, first of all, 
how how did you end up at Northwestern doing your bachelor's because you are from India so when did your thought process start in terms of you wanting to even leave the country to do a bachelor's so my father had studied in the US he'd done his master's in the US at Rice University he was always very keen that I see the American education system and just beyond the education he was also very keen for me to have the experience of living in the US and learning the the skills that are taught outside the classroom in terms of the personality development in terms of social networking skills skills such as that so obviously when I was leaving school I was very interested in studying in the US and information back then in India was not as easily available as it is today but having the natural interest um having the natural interest to go out and reach out to people reach out to alumni of different universities convinced me that a good school in the US which Northwestern obviously is would be a very very good fit for me and it was a great decision because i think fundamentally Northwestern laid the foundation for me to have the confidence a lot of the times to actually go and try new different challenging things and not get taken aback by the initial challenges that i face Great. So, I mean, you know, coming from India, I have to ask you this question. How did you avoid not becoming an engineer or a doctor or lawyer? <laughs> That's a great question. So, um, I actually studied science at school and I really enjoyed uh physics and maths, but I wasn't very I didn't quite enjoy chemistry that much, I guess. But overall, the the, the biggest reason was both my parents are economists. Uh they both PhDs mm-hmm. in economics. Um they're all into public policy advisory, they're into macroeconomics, microeconomics. uh the work the work with uh, so i've always grown up in an environment when i actually saw a lot of applied economics around me so i had a natural interest in economics so initially i got drawn into that um to studying economics and um that's how i kind of avoided being an engineer or a doctor or a lawyer and i think another thing with economics studying economics was that it gave you a lot of um options when you left school after studying economics to try different aspects so one could also go to law school one could um in the US one I mean, if you're American go to medical school and if you study economics you kind of go and find a job in any sector that int- interests you and hence i think economics was the subject of choice given my background as well as given my interests interesting interesting looking back you know now that you have studied um the economics a long time ago is that something you would have taken the choice yourself as well if your parents would not have had that kind of influence Absolutely I think in terms of as a base subject economics formed the foundation of my first job economics also gave me the basic tools obviously an undergraduate degree or even a master's degree for that matter it can't teach you everything yeah. what it can give you it can give you certain tools certain skill sets that you can then go and apply on the job in the future and learn and economics gave me that core tool set that I used as a trader that I used as a fundamental launching pad to coming back to india and combining my work experience in finance along with my learning economics to launch launch an infrastructure advisory business and so i think it was the right decision to study that and i think nothing with economics overall was that it lets you have an open mind towards different subject matters because it's like an amalgamation of political economy sociology maths and because you have that open mind so whether you're in business or whether you're exploring new avenues in public policy having an open mind is something that always served you very well and economics was something that sort of formed the base for that so i would definitely go back and still study economics 
Yeah, it's absolutely, you know, very, very interesting because the first time I was exposed to any kind of economics on a micro and a macro level was when I came here to do my MBA. And right. looking looking back, you know, I that's one regret I have. I, I studied engineering as a bachelor's and I wish that, you know, even the conventional degrees were a little more rounded because it just, you don't get that exposure if you just choose a field. And that point of time, at least I didn't know that what what field I chosen was right for me or not. So I wish, you know, even if someone does engineering or medical or, or law, there, there must right. there should be some element of variety. Otherwise, you'll never know unless you get explore, exposed. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. I think it's so important to have uh, you know, the broad exposure. And I think another thing with studying in the U.S. is that as an undergrad, you have to take classes in different streams. So even if you're a student of physics or an engineer, you have to take a philosophy class. I had a class in art history, I had a class in music. And when you're a student, sometimes you can be a bit skeptical about taking class in music, um, not something I had a lot of interest in, or taking class in philosophy. But overall, actually, when you come out of school after all these years, you realize that having that understanding and having that core curriculum that one has to take adds a lot of value in the future. Absolutely, no, completely agreed. Uh, you know that that was excellent. So that's where you did your bachelor's, and then you did a master's um, uh, at LSC. How right. how did that happen? So I was very interested in pursuing a career as a trader and also understanding finance mm-hmm. in more detail. So my undergrad, as I said, was in economics. It was more generic economics and a bit of macroeconomics and maths thrown in. But what I was looking for from a master's degree at LSE was more specialized finance knowledge. And the degree I did at LSE was MSc in finance and economics. Uh, It's a very, very hardcore finance degree. And having a chance to obviously attend LSE and do that degree really laid the foundation for my trading career in terms of giving me the right skill sets, which I used thereafter when I started UBS. And so that was like a natural progression to study economics, study, do a master's in finance and economics, and then move on to a career in finance in the city of London. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, so, so far, it sounds really good. You know, you're, you're in economics, you got into trading, and you did really well. Um, you know, when when you were uh, in, in these companies as uh, you know, in, in the area of trading, why MBA? So, trading was great. I got a chance to work in London, Zurich, Tokyo with UBS with City. It was very exciting. And it was a fantastic career. But what happened around 2013 was uh, I really felt that while trading was great, I wanted to come back and run my business in India. Now, when you're working a full-time job, it's a very challenging proposition because obviously, one, you have to give up that job. Second, you've got to come back to India where I hadn't lived for a good 13 years Mm -hmm. and try and figure out what business you want to run. And invariably, you also know that whatever business you choose to run when you're coming back, you end up, you're going to have to spend a lot of time experimenting and figuring out which is the right business. So when I, but once I made up my mind that I was going to come back to India and run my own business, I realized that I had a background in finance and economics and I understood India because I'd grown up here, but I felt that I really needed to go and understand business and company microstructure. Mm-hmm. So for instance, the operations of a company, because most of the work in finance that I've done was very macroeconomics based. And when you come back and run a business, whether it starts with the balance sheet of the business, the marketing of the business, or the operations of the business, one has to really understand how does a business fundamentally work from the bottom. 
And I basically felt that given my background in finance, I could do pretty well in India if I could learn those skill sets of ops and business microstructure. Now, the next question was, how can one do that? The MBA was a very, very natural progression for me from there. And what I felt was I would go for the MBA and pick up those basic skill sets. Again, um, one can't go for the MBA and expect to learn everything, but you learn the basic tools, the basic skill set. Mm -hmm. And then I would come back to India, combine that in my finance background and take it on from there, which is exactly what I did. Yeah, absolutely. So I, ha I have a lot of questions <laughs> um, no, at, at this point of time. So first of all, uh, you, you mentioned that one of your biggest motivation was to come and run um, a business in India. Is, right. this, is this a business that was already running and you were going to join it? Or did you actually want to start something of your own? So initially, when I moved back to India, I wanted to start something of my own. Mm -hmm. And then the big question was, what business should one look at? Uh, you know, it's a big market and there's a lot of opportunities, but at the same time, one needs to figure out what is it that really drives one's passion and what is it that really interests one. And now, this was before your MBA. Sorry to interrupt. This was before, this was right okay. before the MBA and even Fair. during the MBA. Now, Development Tracks essentially was run by my parents. It, its background was in public policy and government advisory and economic advisory. What I, what my interests were, were finance. I spent a lot of time in business school, looking at a lot of different business models, um, studying a lot of project finance, a lot of corporate finance, a lot of infrastructure. And what I figured was that a big need in India was infrastructure and infrastructure light. So when I say infrastructure light, that is real estate, airports, aviation, toll bridges, all the whole renewable energy, the whole space. Now, that really interested me. I had a background in finance and I picked up some basic tools and skill sets at business school. And so when I put everything together, for me, what India really needed was a lot of foreign capital coming in to fund the infrastructure deficit in India. And so when I put the whole picture together, I felt that infrastructure advisory was something that was a lot of interest to me. And not just infrastructure advisory, I also have a lot of interest in operating businesses on my own separately further down the road. So the company existed, and then what I realized was I could take that company and extend it into different other streams mm. of business that's very linked. And actually, what's also interesting is when you do public policy, public policy is nothing but a mirror image of infrafinancing. Because essentially, if you're going to have great policy for, say, affordable housing mm. in India, you need to also have great policy that helps bring in the money for affordable housing in India. And you also need someone who's actually going to construct the houses in India and even someone who's going to sell the houses in India. So it all blended in very well with the company that existed, my previous background, what I learned at INSEAD. And I'll go a little bit more into detail about there were certain specific classes at INSEAD that also really, uh, for lack of a better word, inspired me to get into infrastructure. I see. I see. No, that's that's really interesting. So, how you mentioned that your past experience really helped you, uh, you know, in 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 the company uh, development tracks going down, right? Mm -hmm. Because did you not consider going and running something um, in in the similar areas of finance? I I don't know the finance world too much. I'm just going to make my no guess, guesses. Mm -hmm. So you know, like hedge funds or private equity or something along those lines. Is that is that something that ever crossed your mind at all? So uh, my interest in, uh, in infrastructure in terms of advisory and being an operator would also entail having a very, very good understanding of private equity mm. funding in India. 
So, for instance, if I were to arrange the funding for a certain project, there is a chance that I might actually work with a private equity fund, in which case I get to leverage my background in finance to arrange that financing. Or, for instance, if I want to do a business as an operator, for instance, if I want to set up a wind project, a wind farm project, then if I'm the operator there, there's also a chance that I might actually get to work with a hedge fund or a private equity because they're going to be my financiers and they're going to fund the project for me and I'm going to operate the project. So what I realized was doing the work through development tracks gave me an opportunity to not only do private equity and hedge funds and work with those private equities and uh, funds and hedge funds to deliver value, but also let me have a chance of being an operator in India in the greater grand scheme of business. And so it was almost as if I was I had a chance to, you know, as I said, use my background in finance, yeah. use those skill sets and literally also actually work like a private equity fund, but at the same time, also kind of get deeper into business in India and also operate these businesses. I hope I was able to answer your question there. Absolutely. No, it, it, it makes sense. Uh, thanks a lot for the head. Um, Okay, good. So now going back to the MBA, um, so, right. so that's that was your motivation to try and understand, uh, you know, how businesses work, at least from the operational point of view, or mainly, I think, to try and cover the gaps in your knowledge, mainly, Absolutely. yeah, uh, along those lines. So a couple of questions along those lines. Uh, first of all, how was reality as compared to your uh, hypothesis that this can actually help you? So did it actually help you cover the gaps? that you thought you were, you would cover? Absolutely did. And um, I'll, I'll, there's two points there. The first point is that maybe the perception you have, ha- you have initially of how it's going to help you cover might be different from how it actually helps you cover. Mm-hmm. Because I think the one, percep- the one perception that people have when you go to a school like INSEAD, the top business school, is there's a magic pill that's going to be given to you. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a, there's a silver bullet that's going to come and you're going to be like, wow, I went for that one half an hour class and now I know everything. That's not the case. One has to put in a lot of work. One has to put in a lot of effort. And in my case, I had to sacrifice a fair bit of the social life at business school to learn those basic skill sets. What was good, though, was that I knew that I had to give something up to kind of get the other thing. And I think having a very, very clear mind when you go for business school um, with the basics in terms of you have to lay out certain basic things that you want to get out of the MBA. And, if, and in my case, I knew that I had to learn these skill sets. So because I put in the work, because I got access to a tremendous source of information and knowledge at INSEAD, the faculty, my peers, just the business school network, I was able to learn those skill sets. And now that I'm actually back in India, what I realized is all those accounting classes, all those ops classes, all those process and operations classes that I did at INSEAD are of tremendous help here. But Again, I must add that one has to work towards it. And I think one 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 um, issue that a lot of very bright people who go for business school and everyone is very bright in their own way is that people sometimes, even I had, you know, you expect a magic, num- you know, magic uh, little formula given to you, which is going to solve that problem. And that is not the case. So that's, the, those are the two sides of the story. But it was fantastic. I think INSEAD delivered uh, exactly what I wanted. It also could deliver that because I worked towards it. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. Um, there's this one question I, I have to ask at this point of time. Why INSEAD? What were your other choices that you had considered? So um, coming out of uh, seven and a half years of work experience uh, when I went to business school, I was definitely uh, very, very experienced relative to the applicant pool that generally applies to business school in the sort of top few business schools. Um, I had certain things that I was definitely looking for. 
One was I was looking for a top-notch reputation, exceptional faculty, but then that's kind of there for a lot of schools. The second aspect that I was looking for was uh, an Asia focus. And INSEAD is one of the few, one of the only Western schools that has actually had a Singapore campus uh, since 2000. And a lot of other schools have come in with the campus now, but the, Sing- the Singapore campus for INSEAD is an indip- effectively an independent business school. It runs just like any other business school. And I actually spent all my time at INSEAD on the Singapore campus. Um, so I had a very, very specific condition in terms of the Asia focus. Third condition that I had was it had to be a one-year degree because I did not want to go to school for two years. I had a lot of work ex. I wanted to come back and spend that extra year digging around in India and doing my groundwork and laying the groundwork in India, which I was able to do at INSEAD. And fourth, I think, is something that I knew when I went to INSEAD, but I realized that even more was the diversity by country at INSEAD. I think adds a lot of value, especially for me coming from a finance background where I think everyone I knew was from certain schools and were from essentially just a finance background. When you're at INSEAD, what you get is you get diversity of industry, but you get that at other business schools as well. But what you get is diversity of countries. In our batch of 16J, uh, where we had around 620-odd students, there were 90 countries represented. Hmm. And I think, I think in my cohort, in my section, where we had 67 kids, there were around 43 countries there. And so having access to that kind of diversity, uh, and, I, and I know people go on and on about diversity, and sometimes people can be a bit skeptical about that. But when you actually sit there and hear about people talking about a business, an airline business in Belgium. Someone talks about a mining business in Congo. Someone talks about a, a beer business in Colombia. Someone talks about a golf course business in Japan. You really start appreciating how diverse businesses are, not because businesses are run differently, just because they operate very differently in different cultures. And having an appreciation of that is something that really helps you wherever you go to do business, whether it's in India or in Russia or the U.S. And I think in, INSEAD overall, as I said, these were the different reasons why INSEAD was the school for me. I see. I see. No, that that, that sounds really uh, thought through really well. How was your experience in um, Europe, in a sense? You know, INSEAD is largely based. And how was that experience as compared to your experience in London, uh, in the U.K., as compared to your experience in the U.S.A., both in terms of, you know, work experience and education? So uh, different countries, obviously, as stating the obvious, would be have different strengths and weaknesses. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but I think I, the way I would put it is I learned different things in different places. Uh, so, so what I learned in the U.S. was essentially to be a go-getter in the sense if you want to achieve something and you truly believe in it and you're willing to sacrifice and work hard for it, then you just go and try and get it. And that's that's the basic essence of my undergrad degree at Northwestern. And I think Northwestern had a huge contribution towards me coming back and choosing to be an entrepreneur in India because it kind of gave me that risk-taking appetite. Mm. Uh, UK for me was tremendous because UK was where I actually got my first job. I worked um, at UBS in London. That was my first job. And what I learned there was I initially investment banking was work ethics. Not to say that I didn't work hard before that, but I think <laughs> when you come into investment banking, um, as a 21, 22 year old, it can be a bit of a shock, but it's tremendous because I think those that work ethics that I learned there, um, sometimes working 16, 17 hours a day, has helped me tremendously. Or after all, I started so I started working in 2007, has helped me tremendously after all these years till today when I actually work in India, setting up my own business because I do have to work 
16, 17 hours a day to set the business up and run it. Mm. And so that's what I learned there. Europe was fantastic because I worked in Zurich. And what I, was, what I learned in Zurich was process. And I know, you know, Swiss people have tremendous process. But, you know, when you run a business, when you want to build a business up or you want to run an established business, um, you need process. You need to understand that unless you create processes around certain aspects of the business, uh, the business is not going to grow. It's not going to structure itself out. And you're never going to go from being a business to being an enterprise. So what I learned there was process. When I went to Japan to work, what I learned in Japan was completely different. I had exposure to a Japanese market that I'd never seen before. I had exposure to a Japanese culture that I'd never seen before. And the learning in Japan was to understand a different culture and realize how you can evolve and work there and get your work done. And having an appreciation of all these different aspects is all very useful when you come and work in India. Because again, when you work in India, you may deal with the person who understands what you're saying from a very financial technical background. Uh, but you also have to work with people who maybe don't understand that financial aspect that much, but they're very hands-on people. They've done the business for 15, 20 years. And so you need to make sure that you go and learn from them what they can teach you. So as I said, all these different places had their strengths. And for me, when I look at it, all these different experiences, what I see is I see myself as an amalgamation of the learnings from all these different places. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you, you touched upon a little bit more about, uh, you know, working in India. So one question I had was how now getting experience from the US and, and the UK and, and a little bit of Europe and Japan, as you mentioned, when you go with the mindset and the massive amount of experience to India, but the reality is you do not have any real, you know, even a job experience in India. So how did you deal with the stakeholders in India? Did you have like a massive learning curve? Did you make like a lot of uh, mistakes in the beginning when you get, when you got started? Um, actually, not really. So I grew up in India, so I had a pretty good idea of the local culture. Yeah. Um, but I, I hadn't worked here before, that is true. But when I came back, what I realized was, you know, one needs, when you, when you come into a new culture, when you come into a new business, that you're trying to grow, one needs to be patient. And there's always this tendency that people have when you start afresh that you want everything to happen very fast. And so if you have the patience to learn, and if you come here and you use your skill sets and your knowledge from what you've learned in the US, UK, or wherever in the outside, and you patiently apply it, that's when you get access to opportunities. That's when you get access to people. That's when you get access to opportunities that you possibly didn't even know existed. So in my case, I think because I had that patience and because I spent a lot of time doing the analysis before I moved back. So I started thinking about this in 2013. I only moved back in 2014, May 2014. Mm. So I spent plenty of time thinking through these different aspects. And I think growing up in India, having a very good understanding of the local dynamics, plus being able to use the knowledge from outside and apply it in India is key to succeeding here. Obviously, I'm in the process of getting things up and running. We're doing pretty well, and hopefully we do even better. But I think the biggest challenge that people face in India, and not just if you're an Indian or even if you're a foreigner, is how do you connect the aggregate to the micro? In the sense, India is a tremendous opportunity at an aggregate level, and I think India is going to be one of the most compelling business opportunities in the next 25, 30 years, and I'm back here because of that. But I think the biggest challenge is at a micro level, 
things can be very different or things can be very slow. So having the patience to build up a business, build up relationships to get through that process at a micro level is the key to succeeding in India. So if you're someone who is looking for overnight success, um, I don't know if, if one can get overnight success anywhere, but India is definitely not the place for you. But if you're willing to be patient, if you're willing to invest your time and resources into things that you believe in, you're willing to do your homework, then I think without a shadow of doubt, India is one of the most compelling opportunities. And if you look at businesses uh, across the globe and you can invest across the globe, everyone's lining up to invest in India and slowly but surely getting into India. But it's definitely a game of patience. Yeah, yeah, absolutely agreed. I mean, you sound like an entrepreneur even before you became an entrepreneur. <laughs> Did you just like mentally work yourself to it then? So um, I was always interested in entrepreneurship, though I did do a job before that when I obviously worked as a trader. But trading was also fairly entrepreneurial in the sense there was a fair bit of risk taking involved. But I think overall, I think what's important is whenever you want to get into a new venture, whether you're an established business trying to get into a new business or whether you're someone who wants to be an entrepreneur, I think it's important to think think things through till the end. And I'm not saying that I always succeed in doing that, but I think that's my intention. So my intention always is to think things through till the end. So I think I was able to do that quite well in the sense I had a pretty good idea um, of what was in store for me. Not to say that unexpected things did not happen, but the unknown unknowns you can't take care of. But what you can take care of is what you know. So I think as long as people are willing to spend an I am a fair amount of time to actually think things till the end, then I guess you kind of try to reduce the risk of um, unknown surprises. And I think I was able to do that to some extent. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's one takeaway I'm taking from her conversation that it looks like you had a very nice, well thought out process, you know, as you were going along. So it was almost by design rather than things falling into place for you. Um, to some extent, but there are also a lot of a lot of um, you know, a lot of really really interesting opportunities that come up uh, because. But I think I think what's important is you have to do what you can do as of today very well. Uh, and I think as an entrepreneur, that applies even more so. So when I sit here today in India with the resources I have access to and the people I have access to, I have to try and do the best I can do with that. And when you do that, you if, and if you and if things fall into place, then you get access to a lot of opportunities. A lot of amazing things happen, um, even when you don't expect it. At the same time, there are going to be setbacks. That's always going to be part of business. Business is about risk-taking. But I, I just think that whether you're at doing a business, whether you're at business school, whether you're applying for business school, it applies to a lot of people listening to us today, is you need to make the most of what you have. And I think a lot of times, even I do it, we spend a lot of time thinking about, oh, what if this were the case? Or what if that were the case? Or person A or person B has this. We can't do anything about it. So basically, we know what we have, and we need to make sure we maximize the potential of that, whether it's a business school application, or whether it's a job application, or whether you're an entrepreneur running your own business. Yeah, yeah, great point, great point. Now, talking about INSEAD, uh, you, you mentioned um, in our brief conversation that you were really keen to come and share your experience in INSEAD. Did you right. have anything specific that you think our listeners can really take away? So, first, as I said, was just the diversity of the business school. I have never met 
so many people from so many different countries and so many different backgrounds in one place in the space of 10 months. And this was also considering the fact that you actually did study in the US and absolutely, in the UK. Absolutely. So I, st- I studied in the US, I studied in London, I worked in three different countries, so London, um, obviously UK, Switzerland and Japan. And I had never even come close to meeting such a diverse group of people. That is something that's amazing about INSEAD. Second is just how fast-paced the INSEAD degree is. And it's a 10-month degree, and it is super intense. And it's amazing, but it's super intense. And it's intense beyond anything one can imagine. And then I came from a banking background. I felt that I knew how, how to handle it, and it was super intense. And that's a tremendous learning curve at INSEAD, is learning how to manage your time, how to organize yourself, and still get around not just doing your schoolwork, but doing all the work outside the classroom. And that is something at INSEAD that was tremendous, is just having the capacity to absorb all the pressure and deal with that. And that's what business school teaches you. I mean, I think that learning from business school is super useful today as an entrepreneur. Another thing that was super interesting at INSEAD was the high quality of network, the high quality of faculty, and the high quality of teaching at the business school. So, um, I'm going to throw in these two classes that I did at NCI that actually um, sort of clinched the deal for me to come back to India and do infrastructure was there was this class on project finance by Professor Pierre Hillion, and there was a class on leverage buyouts by Professor David Lai. And I mean, to be honest, these two classes actually were classes I did in the last quarter at NCI, so the last term. But these classes had such a profound impact on me that when I was making the decision in terms of how I wanted to do business in India, Doing that class in project finance with Pierre Hillion and doing that leverage buyouts class with David Lai convinced me that my future in India was going to lie at the intersection of my finance background, ops and infrastructure. And and that is the quality of teaching at INSEAD that can literally influence your decision making. So you, and the class with Pierre was a two-week class. It was 15 days. But when I started the class and ended the class, I was super convinced that this class was a base for me to go and build a career out of it. And I'm not just someone who's saying that. Actually, I put my money where my mouth is because I'm actually in India doing this. So that's the kind of influence INSEAD can have on you. And I'm sure other people will have different experiences, obviously with different um, experiences they're coming through with from INSEAD. But I mean, overall, tremendous experience. Um, Super intense, super short, but the learning is absolutely steep. So you need to be on your toes when you're at business school there. I see. Very, very interesting. Did you have a chance to, uh, you know, coordinate or, or, or share notes, compare notes with, um, you know, others from different business schools as well while you were doing your MBA? I did. So uh, my fiance went to Wharton hmm. and then my brother-in-law went to Wharton. A lot of my friends went to Kellogg, Wharton. Um, my sister-in-law went to Imperial. So, um, so I had a good chance to speak to people from different business schools and INSEAD was a very, very different experience. Um, again, the other schools are tremendous as well. I mean, there's tremendous experiences, great, fantastic business schools, some of the best in the world. But INSEAD overall, I think, was a lot more intense because it's a 10-month or one-year MBA and it's super diverse. It's in Asia. It's in France. Um, I didn't exchange campuses, but a lot of people actually exchanged campuses. So there were people who were in the front, in Fontainebleau to, for like four months. They spent a term in Singapore, then they spent like a term in Abu Dhabi, where NCI has a third campus. So 
having that diversity and having people move around also forces you in some ways to actually go and embrace new people. Because when I was there in INSEAD in my last two terms, a lot of people I was friends with for the first three terms were actually in France I was while I was in Singapore. Mm. And, and and all those people I started in Singapore with were already in France. So And then there were a lot of people who started in France who'd come to Singapore. And INSEAD was such an environment where you could literally go and meet these people you had never met and you could become friends with them and you can get to know them better. And INSEAD creates that environment where you got to know close to 500 people in space of 10 months. And I think if you were at a different business school, you wouldn't probably get that opportunity because you'd probably have a group of friends, which is great, but then you don't get access to those many people. And overall, I think just having those three different campuses where people can go around, travel around, move around, your professors move around as well, is just an overall just a tremendous experience. So um, other business schools are different I'm, and the fantastic and, and the INSEAD experience is fantastic. So I think at the end of the day, one needs to make up their mind in terms of what one is looking for specifically and then make the decision for business school. Nice, nice. Very interesting. I, I didn't realize that a lot of your family members have done MBA. Maybe I should just invite all of them and like have like a family session. <laughs> <laughs> that could be interesting. That would be really interesting, like a roundtable discussion on different experiences. <laughs> Sure. Great. So, so you know, you, you had such nice things to say about INSEAD. Now, on the flip side, <laughs> um, mm-hmm. what are some of the things that you think could improve or some of the things that you were not happy with and, and you, you would really love the program to pay some attention to it? Um, I think the program overall does a very, very good job um, of putting the whole story together in terms of creating a diverse crowd, great professors, great faculty. Uh, it's very hard for me to be critical and because I, I think I could not come up with a better way to run the program. But I will tell you one challenge that I faced at INSEAD. And I think that's a challenge that everyone faces at business school, but specifically in INSEAD, is you can't have it all. So when you start at business school at INSEAD specifically, what happens is there are a million things one wants to do. So I wanted to obviously do my academics, I wanted to travel, I wanted to play rugby, I wanted to, I was running the entrepreneurship club at INSEAD, I wanted to be, learn some leverage buyout classes outside of in, uh, outside of school, I wanted to, I had a lot of friends in Singapore, I wanted to be friends with them and sort of go out and meet them more often. But the one big challenge you face at a school like INSEAD is, because it's so short and so intense, you need to really realize that you can't have it all. And initially, most people think they can, and then sort of one month into the program, that's when they realize that one has to start choosing things that one really wants, as opposed to other things that maybe are not that important. And I think making that choice is extremely challenging, or making those choices is something that's extremely challenging. And also, but at the same time, it's a great learning experience, because when you sort of become an entrepreneur, when you go out and actually run your own business, for instance, I can have five different deals that may potentially show up at my door, and eventually maybe one deal is going to go through. But one needs to also make those decisions and take those calls as to which deal one wants to deal with first. And that a lot of it is based on knowledge, a lot of it is based on gut intuition. And I think inside overall, that's a huge challenge at a, a business school where your degrees for 10 months is it's a lot packed in in a very relatively short duration of time but at the on the flip side it teaches you to make hard decisions and one has to make those hard decisions because otherwise you will be absolutely lost 
Yeah, absolutely. Completely agree. It's all about trade-offs, isn't it? Because Absolutely. Yeah, I I think I think you did you did the one year MBA for the same reason as I did and and I did it for the similar reasons and I just I just couldn't get myself to do a two year MBA. It just felt too long to not, you know, not work for two years. <laughs> absolutely. I mean, in my case, I think I really thought that doing one year at business school learning those basic skill sets and then coming back to india and spending that second year kind of extending those skill sets on the ground was a better learning experience than spending two years at business school and when i look back at it i think it's the right decision yeah yeah absolutely now what what does development uh, you mentioned a little bit about what development tracks does um right. do you want to talk a little bit more about what kind of projects it works on and also in the same vein where are you guys heading from here Absolutely. So, as I said, our core interests are in infrastructure, infralight, real estate, and finance. Uh, the three sectors that we're looking at quite actively right now is one is real estate, one is renewables, and third is aviation. Um, our core aim, as I said, is from the advisory side of the business, is to bring in foreign capital and foreign businesses, and provide them access to opportunities in India. Um, now, you obviously have a lot of big investment banks to do the same, but the investment banks focus on a lot of the large deals. They focus on the higher end of the market where you have a lot of bulge bracket deals. What I feel is a tremendous opportunity in India is the middle market segment. Uh, the biggest challenge that foreign investors face in India is asymmetric information, and as i said they are not able to link the aggregate story with the microstructure of the market mm. that's where development tracks from the advisory side of the business comes in what we can do is basically be for lack of a better word the eyes and ears for all these investors so we can syndicate the deals for them we do the analysis for them we discuss the analysis with them and we help them invest their money uh initially the reason we focused on real estate renewables and aviation is because those are the sectors that are of great interest to me um given the research that i did at bis- while well, at business school the research i did before that development tracks also has interest in in the future essentially operating certain businesses in the space of real estate renewables and aviation uh, for instance in aviation there's a lot of interest around regional connectivity in india and that is something that development tracks is looking at to see how we can be a part of that story and so besides the advisory business dt wants to develop an operating business whereby we actually operate these businesses on behalf of investors through joint ventures or through project offices in india or just as a promoter so that's where development tracks is and going forward we want to extend the business in this space and really use our expertise uh, of being able to combine finance along with operations to grow these businesses Yeah, very interesting. What what kind of sizes of investments you generally work with? So, in the middle market segment would be look at in India is around the 4 to 25 million dollar range. Mm-hmm. Um at the moment in terms of bringing in the money, uh per ticket size. And obviously in the future we'll see how the market evolves and where the opportunities are. Um and again, in terms of investments we look at both the equity side of the market as well as the lending side of the market. And so at the moment some of the projects that we are working on are all around um for instance distressed assets in real estate so there's there there are projects which are say 70% complete uh the asset is a good asset but maybe 
the person who is building the asset has a problem on the balance sheet and they can't fund the asset anymore. So what this provides is this provides an investor an opportunity to come in, um, provide a bridge loan to that project, complete the project, and essentially help out the developer and at the same time make a return on that investment. And overall, I think it's great for the economy because what you're getting is you're creating economic capital because you're helping out a lot of these assets which are not performing all that well to kind of become performing assets again. That's an example of a deal that we do. And again, moving forward, we hope to extend this and look at other deal structures, but the opportunity in that space in India at the moment, um, and obviously people hear about it in the news as well, is tremendous. So I think that is something a lot of investors are interested in coming in and tapping that market basically. Interesting, interesting. So two questions around that. Um, first of all, how do you, I'm assuming that you have to deal with a lot of bureaucracy and the government institutions in India to, to mm-hmm. even do your work. What, what right. are some of your takeaways from that? How do you, how do you deal with that? So first things first, I think the government institutions and bureaucracy in emerging markets in India specifically has been given a lot more of a bad name than it deserves. Um, overall, I think processes have improved over the last 10, 15 years. Um, do I think processes could get faster? Sure. There's always scope for improvement. Mm. Second, I think what one needs to realize is a lot of processes are slow, but not because people want them to be slow, but because it's complicated. For instance, if there is a piece of land in, say, close to Delhi, and that piece of land is something that you want to buy up, maybe there's a legal case around it that makes that land very hard to buy up. So the process gets delayed, not because someone wants to delay the process, there's a lot of red tape, it's because a lot of these businesses are relatively slow because there's a lot of legal ramifications to those projects. That's the second thing. Third factor is that, as I said initially in the discussion, you need to be very patient. And unless you have that level of patience where you can sit there and you have the access to those resources, right? because patience needs a lot of resources, right? Because you're going to have to spend a lot of time and capital in staying alive in the business where you get access to those opportunities. So, if you want to play in the infra space, in uh, even the infra light space, I think in an emerging markets such as India, where a lot of the opportunities lie, you need to have a tremendous patience. So overall, I think the bureaucracies improve. Um, do I think, as I said, I think things will get faster, they could, and I'm sure they will eventually down the road. Um, but overall, I think one also needs to realize that when you, with the kind of deals that we look at, the kind of deals that happen in this space, it just takes time to do business. It's not something that can be done overnight because when pe- when you're getting in that kind of capital to come in and get put into these businesses, everyone spends a lot of time doing their due diligence, making sure that everything's in line. There are no legal ramifications if there's anything that goes off track. And that will take time. So as I said, you know, if you want to do business here, and not just in infra, I think if you want to do business overall, um, you have to have a lot of patience and you have to be able to sort of invest 5, 10, 15 years and then get the returns. Yeah, very interesting. Very interesting. As as you said, it's, it's, it's gotten a bad name. In fact, I am from India and I feel skeptical myself. I can just imagine um, how others might feel. So right. that that's great to hear that. On the, other, on the other hand, how do you get investors to contact you? Do you do a lot of marketing? Do you do a lot of outreach programs or is it organic or how, how does that work? So I obviously had a pretty 
good network in the finance community that help out in terms of having access to investors. And above and beyond that, I think once you start doing good work, the word gets out, people are happy to speak to you, people are happy to engage with you. And we do spend a lot of time engaging with investors at investor conferences. We regularly meet investors in Singapore and Hong Kong. Uh, we spend a lot of time sending up our research, our views on the markets. And I think once investors um, with us and with anyone else, once they're convinced that you're in the game for the long run, you're, you're willing to invest your own time and resources in providing people access to very, very good information, people are more than happy to engage with you. And I think that's where quality really stands out. So I think having access to investors is something, but having access to investors willing to trust you will only stem from the quality of work that you do. And so when you start off and building a business, you're an established business, you need to ensure that the quality of work you put out is exceptional, or at least is the best you can put out. And once you start doing that, I think getting access to investors or getting access to investments, getting access to good deals is something that takes care of itself further down the line. Yep, yep, fair enough. We are very close to the end, Topanil. <laughs> uh, what is the one thing you wish I had asked you? That's a difficult question. I think you've covered, um, you've covered the whole picture quite well. I think the one thing that you should have asked me maybe was how does an MBA that we get taught at the business school such as NCR or a school in the US, how relevant is that in an Indian context? I think that is something that's a very interesting question. Cool. Go for But, it. <laughs> And 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 the reason I say that is that is something that I was always um, always interested in and always a bit skeptical about business schools because I think business school curriculum originally was made for sort of the Western world and Western business and I think and, and you know doing business in India is very very different from doing business in the US or in the UK in some ways it's very similar but you know, as I said it takes a certain mindset to operate. There. So actually, surprisingly, NCR actually was able to surprise me the other way around. So I was quite skeptical. I thought that a lot of the cases were going to be on essentially European and American businesses, which they were. But what was interesting is at NCR, we had cases, a lot of classes and quite a few cases on India. For instance, in the strategy class that we did, we actually had a case on Starbucks versus Cafe Coffee Day in India. And what it showed me was just beyond that, NCR wanted to teach the students at NCR about doing business in India. I think global business schools also realize that India is a tremendous story overall, even if there are short-term glitches and short-term ups and downs. And one can see business schools starting to have a lot more classes on India, India business trips, India cases in a strategy class that probably 20 years back would not have been the case at NCR or any other business school. And what that shows is business schools are taking uh, a cognizant of the fact that India is a tremendous business opportunity, which it is. And they're also making sure that students who come from other countries um, at NCR or any other business school for that matter really understand or get some understanding of Indian culture. Because eventually, I think 20 years from now, if you're a business person sitting in Europe or the US, 
you have to have some understanding of India and China because essentially the world's going to be super linked. And I think that was super interesting for me because I was quite skeptical when I went there. And But I was actually in that surprised me because I felt that there was a fair bit of focus on Asia and specifically in India. And that was something that was really interesting. Yeah, that is, that is really interesting. And in fact, you can tell me uh, about your experiences. But do, do you think it's also got to do with the fact that a lot of people who are going from India or, or you know, who are originally from India, if they're doing an MBA now, they are actually actively considering going back to India and either working or starting something. This kind of thought process was not very popular back in the days, but now a lot of them are actively considering it. What What are your experiences and thoughts around that? Absolutely. I think overall, say 10 or 15 years back, if you went for a business school MBA, um, most people, in fact, almost everyone did not want to come back to India unless they had a family business yet, perhaps. Mm. I think what's changed is People realize that India, as I said, and at the cost of sound being very repetitive, that India is where a lot of the growth is going to come from. And if a lot of the business growth globally, GDP growth is business growth, and essentially is going to come from India, there are opportunities here. Second, I think, is a lot of the young people actually who I interact with, they truly believe in the India story. And, but I think on the flip side, what's important is I think expectations need to be aligned around um, what doing business in an emerging market is like. And I think the one challenge that MBAs face and INSEAD MBAs will face that and MBAs at the top school will face is essentially giving up a hefty salary and coming back to India to run a business has its own challenges. And I think the biggest challenge is being patient enough. And I keep going on about it because one one tendency that MBAs tend to have naturally because you know everyone's a high achiever, everyone's from a very very good background academically as well as overall from their work experience etc. Is people want things to happen very quickly, and so I think one challenge that people find when they come back to India to run businesses is that I can speak for India is things don't happen as fast initially at least as you expect it to, because your expectations aren't aligned with the reality. But overall, I agree with you. I think a lot more people are willing to come back because opportunities abound here and if one is willing to be patient one can tap those opportunities and succeed and that's something that's dramatically changed over the last 20 years and that's a reflection of essentially the growth that the country's seen over the last 20 years yeah absolutely and and to be honest i think i'm just going to call this episode uh, being patient <laughs> that sounds great <laughs> yeah because that's that that is also a very key takeaway that i'm taking away from this and you know, as 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 a lot of people you mentioned, I also inspire. I'm, I'm aim. I'm inspired, but now, and I also aim to come back to India to possibly start something of my own. And and I'm seeing that you know that is a mindset shift. That's something I can start developing even before I come there. Absolutely, and I think being patient. I think you know, if, if I am, I'm sure people who are listening to us are applying for business school, they're applying for jobs, and people at different stages and I think as I said I think the two things that matter the most is being able to do the best with what you have today and second is being patient because I think what happens a lot in the business school application and I'm sorry if I'm sort of digressing is that you know you hear a lot of stories about uh, person X is this person Y has that person E has that but I think what's always key is whether you add business school which is also very challenging because business schools are very competitive places is you maximize what you have and you have to have the patience I mean, without, the, without being patient, you're going to struggle to sort of move forward and do the right things and make the right decisions. 
Absolutely. Toponil has been a, an amazing pleasure talking to you and I think this is a really good point um uh, to end because these are some good takeaways uh, for everyone listening. So as a last point, you know, how can people know more about you and how can they get in touch with you? Sure. So um my company website www.developmenttracks.com. I'm also there on LinkedIn, uh Facebook and Twitter and I'm as you know, I'm pretty good with answering messages. <laughs> so uh people I'm always happy to engage with people um for work even otherwise I can be at times I can be a bit tied up with work but I always make it a point to get back to people and make sure that I get back with messages and I connect with people because I've always been very lucky that a lot of senior mentors have always helped me out and I kind of realized that they were super busy when I used to approach them but they always made time for me and that's a great learning that I've had so i'm always very very good with um communication and i try my best to get back as soon as possible so people can always get in touch with me on linkedin as i said on twitter on facebook just drop me a message on the website absolutely and and guys i can totally vouch for that <laughs> <laughs> exactly great topanil this has been an absolute pleasure thanks a lot for Thank your time you. i know it's quite late in india right now so thanks a lot for staying up and talking to us thank you for having me on the chat thank you take care bye bye Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to the MBA Jam. Now it's time for you to take action. Head over to the mbajam.com to listen to more episodes and discover great resources.